Hey everyone, uh, Lena here, and I want to just uh, welcome you to another episode of uh, the, li- the podcast of the Ministry of Living with Power Ministries, and uh, uh, I uh, am enjoying the time with you every week. I uh, want to remind you that we are in a series called Great Expectations. We're talking about what, what we can really expect from God, and a lot of times we spend days and years in disappointment because We come to God with wrong expectations, and when the things that we want don't happen, we feel like God has betrayed us, when in fact, they were never things that He had promised us. And so what are the things that we can expect? And we started by talking about expect, we can expect God to love us unconditionally. We talked about how we can expect God to answer our prayers faithfully. And then today, I want us to cover uh, another expectation. It is this, we can expect God to correct us when we're wrong. We can expect God to correct us when we're wrong. The scripture is full of examples of people who stepped out of God's ways and God corrected them. And he did it faithfully, specifically to his kids. Think about all the way back to Adam and Eve. I mean, Eve, the, the minute they sinned, in the very next verse almost, God finds them in the garden. He seeks them out and finds them and corrects them. And, and the pattern is repeated over and over again. Abraham, Jacob, Jacob, man, I mean, he is a perfect example of it. And, and I love uh, the example of, um, of Moses corrected by God. But uh, even better, now I'm, I'm, oh, I know, I was like, I was blanking. I was like, I know I had somebody else I was thinking of David. I mean, he is the classic man after God's heart who sinned miserably and and lived the consequences of it, but then uh, just found healing with the Lord and in his repentance. But but in the New Testament, and I've really uh, for this series, I've tried to focus my attention. I don't know if you've noticed, I'm sticking to the Gospels. I don't know why. I just feel like I've been in the Gospels lately, and I want to talk about um, two, actually two or three incidents. Uh, they're short verses, but I wanted to highlight a couple of events where Jesus corrected his disciples. And he, there are sure many, many others, but when I sit down and thought about this topic, I, these, these two people came to mind, and then a third kind of general observation. So do you mind if I read a couple of verses? The first is Peter. He had claimed to do certain things, and uh, actually, no, he had uh, corrected Jesus about something, and he was wrong, and Jesus spoke a harsh word to him. Let me read you the context, just a couple of verses in Matthew 16, verse 21. It says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Verse 22 says, And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. And so I'm giving you here, I think, four or five points today. Let me start with the first. We need correction when we fix our minds on earthly things. We need correction when we fix our minds on earthly things. I got to take you to 1 John chapter uh, 1. Oh, I'm sorry, chapter 2. Most of our problems happen when our minds are fixed, when our hearts are torn between the world system and God's system. That is it. When we and, and so here's how John says it. I think he really sums it up. Do not love the world or the things in the world. This is in 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And see, what he's talking about here with the world, he doesn't mean like the beauty of the Grand Canyon. He means the world philosophies and the world theories and thinking. It says, for all that is in the world, you say, what are the world thinking? I'm going to tell you. Number one, the desires of the flesh. Number two, and the desires of the eyes. And number three, the pride in possessions. And so, uh, simply put, this is like uh, sex, status, and riches. And, uh, you know, and, 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 and those are the 
general categories that we tend to attach ourselves to, what we feel, the pleasures in this world, what we see, the desires of the eyes, the the the, uh, the things we want, materialism and the and the pride, or I'm sorry, desires of the eye and the pride and possessions. The pride and possessions is the material things. The desires of the eyes is things of pride, position, it's status, sex, status, and stuff. And uh, and that's what it boils down to, isn't it? Think about the things that you're wrestling with today. Usually, it has to do with the things that you want in the flesh. So many of us struggle with issues of lust and and gluttony and and the flesh and, uh, and and so many of us uh, have pride and possessions we live in the western world most of the listeners of this blog are in the western world and, and this is a big struggle you might not be in the western world and I believe it still is a struggle it is wanting those material things that we think will make us happy we want a bigger house another car uh, a bigger you know dining room table so we can have more people over so they can see what, how big our life is and on and on and on and we spend our energies in our life we waste our life trying to accomplish those things and, and the desires of the eyes we want to have a certain position we think if we can rise through the ranks be it in the Christian world or outside of it that we'll finally be happy for all that is in the world the desires of the flesh desires of the eyes the pride and possessions is not from the Father but is from the world and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so here's Peter. His eyes are fixed on earth, on, on the earthly things. He's not thinking with eyes that are spiritually minded and eternally minded. So he sees, he hears Jesus talking about suffering, and he's like, God forbid. And, and yet, suffering was the means to Christ's glory. And it was a necessary, it was the whole point of Jesus coming to earth. And so, so Peter needed correction in that. And we too need correction when we fix our minds on earthly things. Um, I think it's in Colossians where we're told to set our minds on the things above. In 2 Corinthians 4, we're admonished to, to also not be fixed on the things that are transient. In James 4, it says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And, and look, I know when people harp about that in devotionals and in messages that it sounds like, you know, like the old Baptist fire and brimstone preachers, but, but it's the truth. It is the truth, and I've seen my life get caught up with the things of the world. Uh, even as I've pursued ministry, I've seen myself wanting to, if I just get asked to speak at this venue, if I just get asked to hang out with those people, if she tweets, retweets my thing, then I'll finally be something. We are suffering in, in, in self-pity and in, in, in sin and in dissatisfaction with God's ways because we think we've got to always be the best, and, and that is a lie. And, and again, and I think the point of bringing out those verses about Peter was simply to, to kind of bring out this point, which is we need correction when we fix our minds on earthly things. Oh, I pray that we would have our minds fixed on heavenly things, on things that last eternally. All sin grows out of worldly thinking and desires, all right? Now, second one, and I'm going to move to another woman. I know this is a bit like, I mean, might drive some of you crazy that I'm moving to another text, but it has to be done. And it is... Another place where Jesus rebukes uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 41. Uh, this is between Mar Martha and Jesus. And so um, the point is we need correction when we fix our minds on other people. So the first one was we fix our minds on earthly things. But now we need correction when we fix our minds on other people. So remember the story, Mary and Martha are home. Mary's hanging out. Martha's doing all the dirty work. And she gets ticked off. How is it that I'm doing all the work and my sister's sitting around? And so she... Um, she says to Jesus, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Tell her then to help me. And the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And, uh, 
again, certainly a soft form of rebuke, but a rebuke nonetheless, and it is a form of correction. Um, by the way, Jesus did the same to Peter in John 21 when Peter looked at his friends, specifically John, and said, I think John, and, and said, uh, hey, what about him? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus rebuked him as well. And uh, a great passage for correction when we fix our minds, uh, well, in general, about, I, I just was, before I forget, I guess I wanted to cross-reference in case you're by your Bible, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, that is a great uh, correction chapter of how God disciplines his children. And by the way, that is why I wanted to pick out disciples that, that had issues that needed correction. And But um, in this case, with Martha and Jesus, we need correction when we fix our minds on other people. Uh, the problem with us is when we fix our minds on other people, we become obsessed with this I thought that I want what they have. Or we think I deserve what they have. And, and, and the pride in that is that we think I am better than them. And you might not come out and say it, but you might believe it in your heart. Think about the pattern when you look on the Facebook and the Twitter and you see other people, they're doing the things you want to do. And you think, why did they get it and not me? And that is so full of pride. And God is pointing these things out in my life. Uh, comparison is the thief of joy. I'm telling you, it's true. And 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 we, I tell you, sometimes God lets us get away with it for a short period of time. But if you don't self-correct, He will correct you. And you say, well, how do I know when I'm corrected? Well, ask Him. Confess. First of all, confess your sin. But secondly. We'll get to actually the, the treatment in a minute. But, but besides confessing, I think when it comes to something like looking at other people, I think when you look at other people and you become joyful when they have what you have, that's when you know you've finally matured in that area. And I'll tell you, it takes time for that to happen, but it must happen with deliberate and intentional prayer and focused uh, you know, attention on that. So we need help. We need correction when we fix our minds on earthly things. We need correction when we fix our minds on other people. And then number three, we need correction when we forget who God is and what he has promised us. Now, there are so many of this um, idea in the Gospels, but um, I think in Matthew, well, any of the boats incidents, you know, uh, remember where so many times, like Matthew 14, they're in the boat and there's a storm and Peter freaks out and starts walking on the water and then sinks. And, and Jesus' response is, oh, ye of little faith. So we need correction. So he didn't, Jesus didn't applaud the disciples or, or coddle them. You know, of course he didn't applaud them, but we want him, we want to be coddled when we're afraid. We want someone to go, you know, everything's going to be okay. But Jesus, he knows who he is and he knows what he's trying to teach the disciples so that when they fear, he speaks a corrective I guess harsh. It's not as harsh as he could be, I think. But he says, Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? And that sentence, Oh, ye of little faith, is repeated so many times to the disciples. And, uh, and, 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 and when we err and forget who God is and what he has promised us, we too must hear him say clearly to us, Oh, ye of little faith. And, and it's, it's a gentle rebuke, but it is a rebuke nonetheless. We need to be growing in faith. I don't know about you, but I need to be growing in faith. I know who God is, but I forget his works. I ignore his words. Instead of strengthening myself in the promises of God, I just ignore them. I put them on the shelf. And instead, we should be preaching the truth to our hearts. And so if you're waiting on the Lord right now, repeat the truths that you know. Psalm 27, wait on the Lord and be of good courage, and he will strengthen your hearts. You can claim things like Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Do not forget it. And if you have forgotten it, let the word of God rebuke you. Oh, you of little faith, do not underestimate God's character. He is good. He is loving. He is merciful. He is wise. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is all-able. I'm telling you, he is a God who can do anything. And you've got to review those things of the Lord over and over again. A great place, a friend on the blog recently 
puts a note to me that was so good in the comment section. She says, you know, as you're going through a difficult time of waiting, immerse your heart and your mind in the Psalms. And I remember a few years ago, I was in the habit, and I've restarted it now, I was in the habit of reading five Psalms and one Proverbs a day. And if you do that, every month you'll go through the entire Psalms and all of Proverbs. It might feel overwhelming to you, but look, sit down. I've had to come to terms with the, with the truth that I spent so much thinking time worrying. I could cut down 15 minutes of that time and read five Psalms and one Proverb, and I think it would serve me a lot more. And so I'm doing that again. And I'm going to challenge you right now. Why not start that in your life? I don't care what's the date today. Today, I'm recording this on the 19th. So make the 19 times 5. You know, what? It, what is that? 19 times 5 is uh, 95, I think. Wait. 19 times 5, I can't think, yeah, 95, so you would read chapter 91 through 95, and then Proverbs 19, and then tomorrow you pick up 96 to 100, just keep doing that, and then repeat it after a month, and keep doing it, your heart will swell with remembering who God is and what he has promised, and, uh, and then number four, so we're talking about when we need correction, okay? Because uh, we can expect God, the theme today is that we can expect God to correct us when we're wrong. And so I kind of am highlighting some areas where we're wrong with where we need correction. Number four, we need correction when we fix our minds on our own greatness. I guess that kind of ties into what Peter was saying, where he thought he was better than the rest, where he was going to, this is the time, remember when, Je- when Peter said to Jesus, um, I'll never deny you and Jesus says before the cock crows you'll deny me three times and um Anyway, that's pride. I don't know why I had it there. So let's keep going so that we can finish. Uh, we need correction, and only God can do it. We need correction, and only God can do it. That's kind of the, the so what, you know what I mean? The first three were when we need cor- correction. Now, we need correction, and only God can do it. Um, we are sinners in need of God's grace daily. Of course, at salvation, all of our sin is forgiven. But now, let's go to Hebrews 12. There's a good place to go. And we're told that it is for discipline, that you have the, the, the entire teaching of Hebrews 12 is that we, we are disciplined. Jesus, God disciplines us as children. And so he says, uh, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then your illegitimate children are not sons. So if you're sinning actively against God and nothing is happening in your life, you're not being disciplined, you need to question whether you're really a child of the Lord. I know that when I fall in a pattern of sin, God makes it clear in my conscious, you say, how? Well, he does it through his spirit in my conscious. He does it through his word when I read it. I see the truth. It's, it becomes convicting in my life through other believers when I live in authentic community with them and, and ultimately through my submission of saying, God, will you please correct me and teach me the way that I should go? Um, I think it's in Psalms 119 that the psalmist says these verses that are so powerful. He says, uh, uh, hang on a second. 10 and 11, I believe they are. And he says, How then can a young man cleanse his way? Yeah, 9 and 10. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. And then it says, verse 10, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you want to avoid having to be corrected over and over again, if you want to get to the place where you're obeying regularly, you fill your heart and your mind with God's word. And, and how do you do it? You do it with your whole heart. You seek Him with your whole heart. Do not wander from His commandments. That is an intentional decision of submitting before God your life. And, and that is done in a far easier fashion among other believers where you're living authentically with them, saying, look, guys, keep me accountable when I start 
living my life in a way that is not pleasing to God, I want you to point it out, and then submitting even to your brothers and sisters in Christ under the authority of Scripture and to your local church, the leaders in your church, however, you know, the means that God has put in your life, if you're a child or a young man and woman, to your parents, again, on and on and on. You can look at the patterns of authority um, in the Scripture. We can do that another day. So that's it for today. I want to talk about what you can expect from God, that, that He corrects us because He loves us. He corrects us because He wants us to grow. We don't want to be kids who drink milk all the time. We're going to be meat-eating Christians. And I don't know about you, but I want that desperately in my life. And so let's work on fixing our minds on heavenly things. Let's not keep our eyes on other people. Let us fix our eyes on, on the Lord and on His Word. And let us remember who God is and what He has promised. And then submit ourselves to His way. That is how we will achieve joy and peace in a Christian life. So, it's been great being with you today. I hope that you will uh, tune in next week and uh, we'll cover another great expectation at that time. In the meantime, email me, lena at livingwithpower.org or just check the website for new events and information. Livingwithpower.org Dot .org have a great day